I always was felt this disconnect between like these laws that were like getting from the Bible and like the actual words in the Bible. I'm like, how do we get these lessons from like and Joseph's brothers kidnapped him and sold him into a slavery? I'm like, how did you get anything? How did you get a religion out of this book? This is It's Okay to Go Radio, the show questioning the religious beliefs that influence our lives, the challenges we face leaving them behind, and who we become after we leave. Hello and welcome to It's Okay to Go Radio. I'm your host, Haley Carl. Today, my guest is the lovely Tova Silberman. When I first began It's Okay to Go several months ago, Tova was actually one of the first participants I spoke with about leaving organized religion. She had just left Orthodox Judaism, and at that point, she sat down with me for a quick on-camera interview. There were two kind of uh, parallel dreams, the one dream that I thought was off in a faraway land uh, and impossible, and the one dream that I was told to have and to want and to expect. It's been about seven months now since the first time Tova and I met and since I took that video and it is inspiring to see how far she has come with the career that she has chosen in such a short amount of time. From stand-up and creating shows, Tova now works at Gersh Agency, her dream job, and she's discovering new ways to live outside the Orthodox community and still stay connected to her culture. Co-host Dustin Perrin and I sat down with Tova a few weeks ago to talk about growing up Hasidic in New Orleans, her years of internalizing questions about her religion, and, as she puts it, her favorite thing to tell people to make them anti-Semitic. It's a little joke. Let's get to it. All right, so Tova, let's get started. Uh, you and Dustin actually have something in common. You're both from New Orleans. Oh, yeah? Oh, cool. Where did you grow up? Or where did you live? I grew up in Kenner, Louisiana. Got it. Do you know I, where that is? I've Metairie? heard of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I went to school in Metairie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Torah Academy. It was so funny because growing up, um, I when I got to college, I was like, you know the smell of stale beer, like when it's been sitting mm -hmm. out? Like I went to a frat party and I was like, this smells like home. Because I like yes. live near all these frats and I just, the smell of old beer just wafted through the streets and I got this like visceral feeling and smells that, you know, reminded me of my upbringing. Alcohol and vomit in the streets. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. beautiful. So tell us a little bit about growing up Hasidic in New Orleans. I didn't, I, it, it seems like such an odd. Yeah, you grew up in New Orleans. You know how yes. disgustingly hot and humid it is. I mean, so let's start with the basics. I was wearing skirts past my knee, well past my knee, socks at all times, long sleeves, uh, shirts that hit my neckline and higher at all times. You know, I, I didn't wear pants until college. I, n I had never worn pants, and I still don't really know how to shop for jeans because I, <laughs> I didn't grow up learning how to shop for pants. I still don't own that many pairs. So... The way it works, the Hasidic group that we were involved in, and just to preface, my family's not Hasidic. That being said, the school, synagogue, camp, all my friends, any institution that I was involved with was Hasidic. It's Chabad. Um, 
and what they do is they're the only ones that are more outward as opposed to other Hasidic groups you see are more insular. So Chabad, will, what they'll do is they'll try and proselytize other Jews. They'll never try and proselytize or convert non-Jews into the religion. And that's but, what you mean by inward? Yeah. So you guys would outreach to They other... would do outreach, yeah. They would do outreach. So that's why they were in New Orleans. That's why they're, they, they're literally across the globe. Their leader, who's now uh, not alive... Um, their base is in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. If you've ever been to Crown Heights, Brooklyn and seen that religious group, that's like their headquarters is Crown yeah. Heights. And when he was alive, he would send families. He'd say, okay, you're going to New Orleans. You're going. So these families have been in New Orleans for 40, 30, 40 years. Yeah. And that's how my family got involved because my parents were becoming religious. And my dad was a, a professor at Tulane. So my family just happened to be in New Orleans and they were interested in being Jewish and more religious. And the only real Orthodox outlet, for the most part. Wait, they were Jewish. They were just interested in becoming more. Yeah. Of so the my faith? mom, my mom converted, um, and then met my dad, and my dad grew up right Reform, unaffiliated, gotcha. and yeah, and so because my mom had converted, she was very interested in going all the going way. The whole, I hear that. Yeah, that people going, go like all the way. The whole nine yards, and it's funny because it's like my dad was a Jewish one, but my mom kind of was like, "Nope, we're doing this now." She was and a super Jew. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So she kind of pulled us through this whole this whole thing. I think the religion, especially in those communities, is could be really fun if you're a guy. Yeah. Especially this group, they were really and being in New Orleans, they're really into drinking and like it was a party. But the women would always kind of sit behind the railings and be like, "Yay! Take care of great, everything. Great, great. That's so exciting that you guys are dancing and getting drunk." I kind of think that if I was a man, I would probably still be in it why would you it, question it yeah, yeah why would i question it because it's it's geared towards me you know all the practices um you know the outward leadership roles everything is kind of suited for that um especially in these more ultra religious communities it was a lot and especially i mean there was also that dynamic on top of that where my family wasn't really hasidic but the so we i also kind of felt less than in a lot of ways we like were orthodox. A yeah and we were orthodox so we didn't really i didn't have any non-jewish friends would you try harder to be a part of the group or did you feel like rebelling? yeah and i would like force my parents like i would always ask my parents like like can we keep this even stricter level of kosher and they're like no damn <laughs> yeah and uh, you know i asked my mom to you know she when women are married they're supposed to cover their hair and my mom i asked my mom to cover her hair and she did for a long time because i asked her to yeah i really wanted to lean into it i wanted to be a part of it really badly because i just wanted to feel that sense of actually belonging i mean people wouldn't eat at our house because we didn't keep that level of kosher mm -hmm. So how do you feel about that now? Like looking back, does that feel that that was like cultish or just the yeah. way it was or? I have a lot of disdain for it in a lot of ways, but I also see it from the inside. So it's hard for me to, to look at it like. Whoa! All those people are just unhinged and crazy. Yeah, that's because, what I'm asking. Yeah, like, what from yeah. the inside? Like yeah. there had to be parts of it that were good or felt yeah connected like, community is really a good thing it seems like they've yeah. taken community and made it like really tight i yeah and i sometimes and i still go back to crown heights all the time because i get that like wave it's like the it's like the beer in new orleans yeah it's, that's that wave of comfort this is what i know this is what i knew you know i don't love frat parties when i smell that beer but it still brings that wash of yes home and so when I go to Crown Heights, Brooklyn, I get the same thing where I, I, I still get that little pit in my stomach where I'm sad, where I'm like, I wish this worked out. 
because it seems so simple for them. And the, yes. the ones that it works out for, they seem to love it, and it's simple. They're always those, you know, the people that were, uh, that are gay or have been molested or just don't fit into, like, the mainstream mold where you see these, like, um, fringe people where it just doesn't work out for them. And But for the people that it does work for, it's it seems just so easy. I know, I think a lot of the idiosyncrasies are crazy, but I also grew up learning them, so yeah. it's, it's less like those people are wild to, isn't that a weird thing that we did or yeah. I did as well? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel more connected to it than just in now being like, they're a cult, and that was crazy. Just writing it off. You yeah. understand it. Yeah, that's yeah. good. So you're a good person to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say you're a good person and then end it there. <laughs> done. <laughs> Thank we're you done. very much. Thank you. <laughs> Can you tell me what you guys believe like it, about God? Like, what, what was that growing up? What What's the relationship for the Hasidic community towards? Yeah. Is it just the one true God? Is it the God of the Bible? Is it, what is the... Yeah, it's it's a god that's very involved and that's also what what like bothered me i'm like he doesn't care if my skirt is above my knee like i don't understand how this god can pay attention to my skirt and your skirt and katrina and this and that everything there's a there's a thing called hashgacha pratis which means divine providence which means literally no no coincidences everything happens for a reason everything is meant to be um while also simultaneously you having free choice. So it's like, that's like a big thing you always grapple with. How can you have free choice if God also has divine providence and divine will and everything? But he was a very involved God. Um, involved in like everything you say or think. Yeah, because like when it gets to groups like that, it's not just big overarching ideas of like you can't use electricity on Shabbos. There's books and books and books of the minute laws of cooking and and electricity and how that like the ramifications and discussions on whether or not this would apply or that would apply and it just it, you get so bogged down by this minutia of laws and and it's in theory all coming from God but it's you just kind of see past it and you're like these are just rabbis like kind of bullshitting and yeah. you know what I mean and it just it becomes so technical that it can kind of lose itself and lose the it beauty loses of, the meaning so yeah what is the meaning like to do all this is to get right after you die is that the idea to be right with god when you die or i think it's i think it's part of that 100 percent. but i think it's less christian in the in the idea that it's all for after you die i don't yeah. think i don't think judaism's like that and you know it's so funny because whenever people are like jews don't believe in hell i'm like i don't know what jewish religion you were taught i definitely learned about gehenna which is hell so i don't know when people say oh jews don't believe in hell that is a novel concept to me but i think a lot of it is about um because everything happens for a reason it's kind of like if you're a good person it will not necessarily because then there's a conversation of why do bad things happen to good people and then you try and explain it away but those are the big questions that come up yeah, a hundred percent, all the time. But if you follow all these laws, then good things will continue to happen to the family. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So it's not just about the afterlife, although that certainly, certainly was a huge part of it. It's like olam haba, the world to come. But it's also a part of be a good person now because it will reap the benefits. Uh, reward and punishment exists in this world as well. So then, something like Hurricane Katrina comes. Do, how do the how do they explain that? Is well, that it's meant to be. It's actually funny because this is how I got into college. Is I wrote an essay, um, so so uh, insensitive. This essay, <laughs> looking back, 
Uh, I wrote an essay about how Katrina was Hashkacha Pratis for my family, Divine Providence, because, you know, my parents really wanted to move to Memphis. Uh, when, when they moved, you know, my parents got better jobs. They finally got, it finally was the impetus and the push to push us into this community that they wanted to be in. And I'm like, so really, and my friend uh, Aton Levine, who's a comedian uh, who I went to college with, makes fun of me. Um, because this is his impression of me talking about Katrina. This is not what I said. This is his impression is a, oh, Katrina could not have worked out better for my family. It was great. Uh, we got, my parents got better jobs. Uh, we went to a better school. It was all around amazing. And I was like, no, it was. It was tough, but there were... <laughs> but, All those people die just so yeah, you guys you know, can exactly. relocate. Exactly, and that's why it's it was nice. an insensitive essay, but I got into the Orthodox college. So it wasn't the gays, is what yeah, you were saying. Yeah. It was to it benefit your family. Exactly. The I whole will Katrina write Pat Robertson right now. Exactly. <laughs> At what point did you start to diverge? Because I know you and I have talked about how you had kind of this dual future starting yeah. in your mind where you had you could see your future as orthodox and you could also see yeah. your future away from that. When did that split start that to happen? That happened way later than I thought it would. Um, so then after New Orleans, uh, Katrina happened and my family moved to Memphis and it was more of a community that was tried to you know, be on both sides of things, the secular world and the orthodox world. So that kind of opened it up a little bit more. Like, I just kept going from institution to institution, just going along this life plan of just, you know, always being like, I'm, I really hate parts of this. I really hate, you know, their views on homosexuality or, or women or, you know, roles that, you know, or the rush to get married really young and all these things. But I kind of just assumed it was still the framework. I was like, I have to figure this out within this framework. There was never this idea of this framework won't exist for you. It was kind of like, you're going to have to grapple with the fact that you're, you know, pro-gay marriage within the framework of Orthodox Judaism. You're going to have to find the people in the community that are see eye to eye with you. It was never a question of, so just don't do it. Mm -hmm. Just leave. Yeah. Um, and then were there other people your age who had the same ideas like was there anybody talking about that yeah and it was crazy to me because I, there was a whole community of people that also were like i don't really think i believe this but i'm doing it yeah. a lot of people were like that um and, it, and it's true it's because it's all you know it's the only way you know how to function it's the only people you know in college for a, about a year i stopped keeping shabbat and kosher because it's like this is bullshit i hate this i'm in college like this is a time to find yourself but then what would happen was um who would i go out with on friday night when it's shabbat I didn't know anyone to, to not keep Shabbat with. It was easier. What's Shabbat? Can you? Oh, sorry. Shabbat is the 25-hour period from Friday night at sunset till Saturday night at sunset um, where you abstain from any electricity okay. or traveling or anything like that. And it's just a time for synagogue and community. And I this love This is Shabbat. every Saturday? Every, yeah, every okay. week. Every single week. And if you are if you don't feel connected to the community, if you're sitting with people at a meal and they're talking about, oh, well, the gays this or the I don't see why women need to do this. And you're sitting at this table, you're like, I don't want to be here right now. Yeah. And I also want to go out on a Friday night. And I wish we could turn on the lights. Yeah. Well, that there would be literally weekends where someone would accidentally hit against the air conditioner in the middle of the summer and turn off and we just tap our fingers and be like, well, what do we do now? And there's no... What do you mean? You can't turn it back on? No. What? If it goes off, it's yeah. off? Yeah. Well, what's crazy is what we would do is we would go next door and knock on doors like crazy people and get non-Jews to do it for us. 
called a Shabbos goy, but you're not allowed to ask them. But you just gotta nudge them you towards have to it. Be like, isn't it real hot in here? I swear, you have to be, yeah. Isn't it real hot in this apartment, stranger, that I just knocked on your door? It's real what? hot in our apartment. And then, you know. Can you come see why? Yeah, exactly. And so, like, if, if you're a non-Jew and you live in a Jewish neighborhood, you become savvy enough to know that, okay, I'm going to come inside and turn your yeah. light on for you. I think you're crazy, but I get it. But, like. Would that happen in emergency situations? Like, if someone got hurt? And no, then you're allowed call? to break it. You're allowed yeah, to, oh. yeah, yeah. Then you're allowed to break it. Yeah. Can you? are not crazy. No. <laughs> yeah, come on, Haley. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, because I'm thinking, what day of the week did Katrina happen? Yeah. Are you guys... Oh, God. Well, no, that happened on a Sunday. But yeah, I mean, the whole Saturday, my my parents turned on the TV and we were watching all the reports, but I don't think yeah. other people were. There's like levels of that. Okay. Yeah. Um, we moved when I was in 10th grade, so 15. Um, but still, I mean, Memphis Jews are the most conservative people you'll meet. Um, really? My dad's a lifetime member of the NRA. Um, so everyone in Shul has a gun, you wow, know, really? at synagogue. And so it's, it was a different type of, ugh, you know. <laughs> It's a different type of ugh, or it wasn't necessarily bound by religious um, exhaustion, but it was it, more conservative. It was conservative, and it, and it, and it, the religion is a conduit for that too, because you kind of use your religion to explain away these conservative values. Um, Do they vote? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So these are the yeah. Jews for Donald Trump. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, because he's so great for Israel, and they're very pro-Israel, and that's a whole other thing where it's like, I don't necessarily have any stance on Israel because I don't know about it enough, um, but I feel like there's this attitude of, like, Israel's perfect in these communities, and there's no question that, like, well, maybe this conflict has been happening for so many years because it isn't just good guys versus bad guys. Maybe it's a little more textured than that, but these communities kind of just like, Israel, Israel, Israel. Palestinians are evil, Muslims are evil, Arabs are evil, and that's just like, for the most part. Very black and white. It's very black and white, and that's, I would start getting a little, um, you know, jaded about that as well, because I'm like, I I don't know enough about it, but it doesn't seem like that's possible. I was internalizing all this for a long time, and you know, I had questions even in New Orleans, and I just, I didn't want to embarrass the teacher, like, catch her, you know, unprepared, so I would just be like, I don't know, that sounds kind of wrong, but I didn't want to, like... I was, I'm, I'm like a non-confrontational person, so I never wanted to make someone feel embarrassed or awkward, uh, especially as a kid, and I didn't realize that, like, maybe that was the time to ask these questions, and if they can't answer them, then they can't stack up, but I just, like, I don't want to make her feel uncomfortable or put her on the spot, because also, everyone else around you is like, oh, yes, yes, this sounds right, and so you don't want to be like, does anyone hear what I'm, uh, saying, like, what I'm hearing? Um, you don't want to be singled out. Yeah, so it took a long time to, like, verbalize do you think that's why they have that sort of insulated community like so people don't kind of yeah ask questions yeah they don't want you to see the outside world because that leads to questions that leads to questioning their community and and that was another thing i thought it's like if your way is so correct and so great then shouldn't it be stronger be able to withstand a wandering eye or like you know how when um, a lot of amish when they go in the rumspringa most of them return and so it's like, don't you think, like, if your community was really this steadfast and strong, like, you'd be able to let people see what's going on outside and choose to come back because it's so great? So that also kind of, like, made me hesitate because it's like, if you're so great, I would just come back. So at this point, what was the divergent life that you were kind of fantasizing about at this uh, point? So then I went to college in New York and... Being in New York City, you kind of, that was the first time I experienced, like, 
oh, it's not Memphis, it's not a small community, it's New York City. And I always loved comedy. I grew up listening to comedy and loving it. And I just What kind of comedy did you listen to? Oh my god. My dad my parents show me the weirdest shit when I was a kid. Like I I saw Andy Kaufman like real young. Like really alternative mystery science theater, um Pee Wee Herman, uh Stephen Wright, um all all kinds of Doctor Demento, Weird Al. Um so I was like a weird kid too. I lo- always loved weird comedy all that stuff and I got to New York and I realized it was kind of accessible and it was kind of something you could be involved in and I started you know interning and volunteering and getting more and more involved in the comedy world and then the more that I got involved in the comedy world the more I and comedy is interesting because it's also a community I've been raised in this world of community I don't know how to just be a singular person I'm still working on that and what I liked about comedy is it 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 mimics that it's very similar you know if you're a comedian and then you go to another state your comedian friend will put you in touch with their comedian friend who lives in a state you can find a place to stay you can find a place to do a spot if you're a jew and you go out of town you're gonna you you know a community every i mean after katrina communities were we were so lucky because people from around the world were sending us things just because we were jewish and it it was it was very intense to realize that other people just didn't have just strangers sending them things target gift cards clothes furniture all this stuff and it was just simply because we were jewish the jewish world rallies the problem is both communities are very time intensive and uh face time intensive where you have to be really involved in a part of it to really be a part of it you know Mm -hmm. if you don't have a shabbat meal for like six weeks people are going to kind of forget to invite you and forget if you don't see your face show your face in synagogue i might forget like i I won't think to to reach out to you because i just it's you're not on the front of my mind and it's similar with shows like if you're not at a bunch of shows people might not remember to book you and things like that or um to involve you in projects um when did you start to feel the clash between your um judaism and the comedy world so that happened when I started really getting involved into the comedy world, and I was getting, you know, I was producing shows and booking shows, um, and it was. What kind of shows are you booking? Uh, stand-up shows, uh, stand-up in different, you know, different bars and clubs and things like that. And I just love being involved, and I just wanted to be a part of it. Um, was your humor about being growing up in this community? Yeah, okay. I don't do stand-up anymore, but it was very Jewish, <laughs> Jewish intensive. Yes, yeah, it was. Uh, it's all. It's all I knew, and I thought it was funny um can you and tell I think, us some of it oh god <laughs> um uh, this isn't a joke but this is a true story that i would tell on stage in jokish form or like that uh hasidic rabbi the leader of the whole chabad movement who was headquartered in crown heights um he died the day before my hebrew birthday like and I was supposed to have a birthday party at the Children's Museum in New Orleans, and my mom, like, rented out the room, and it was, like, a lot of money, and all my friend's parents flew to Crown Heights for, like, the funeral. And it's the type of thing where, it, like, no one came to your party because the Hasidic leader of your group died. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just like, such, like, no one talks about that on stage. You were stage. just sitting there by yourself. <laughs> yeah, and, and my mom had to find random kids from the Children's Museum to come to the Aww. party. I was four, so I didn't know the difference, but it was just, like... Those are not things that happens to people yeah. <laughs> in stand in the stand up world. But yeah, I, I I was spending more and more time in comedy, and I was just enjoying the people. Like the conversations were great. You know, it's open minded. They're funny, and I just wanted to be friends with comedians and be around comedians. 
and I found myself drawn more and more to that world and it's a it's the type of I had this moment where it's like I was half-assing both worlds and I couldn't do either of them justice because you know again yeah like come to my show oh it's on a Friday night I can't and it just happened so many times and I had this moment this breakthrough where it was like I and in both of these worlds, one of them I chose and another one I'm in just because I've been in it. It was kind of like, you're doing this for no one. You're doing this for nothing. You're doing this only because it's all you've ever done. But you you kind of have a new thing that you can replace. So that was the that was kind of the breaking point where it was like, if I enjoy this world more, I need to like lead with that and, and follow that. And you don't really believe this. You don't really care for this it's just it's scary to not do it um but now you have something where you can step over that ledge and you have people to kind of catch you so you did that you stepped over into the comedy what was the feeling of leaving the jewish community like what was was it it guilt was it like afraid of what god would do did you No. at that point it wasn't about god it was it was more it was guilt a little bit because like most of my siblings have are i'm the oldest of five um and most of my younger siblings stepped away from it before me and my parents would always be like oh I don't know what's going on this one and this one isn't doing going to synagogue and this one's not religious anymore and they would like complain to me about how sad they were about it and I was kind of like so you were kind of holding it together I was holding it together just to be like oh someone's got to do it for them they put they spent all their money on private Jewish school to try and give us a good Jewish education and they like you know they tried so hard and I, I can't. I, That's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I care too much about what people think. You know, people. Are, I don't give a fuck. I do. Uh, you know, I've I've gotten better at it, but I do care. Um, but now I care more about what my peers in the comedy world think. And I hated being the the. What do you mean you can't eat here, girl? You know, or what do you mean you can't come out on this? You know, I just hated that. So yeah. it was like it was t- kind of like I, I care what everyone thinks so how can I I can't appeal I can't please everyone and like I guess it's a gro- it's a growing thing too where it's like this is who I am yeah and I'm okay with who I am would you say that these situations you were in with these strict communities helped you to find your own voice would could that be the silver lining and <laughs> the hashgacha pratis <laughs> yeah. what, what she said um well yeah I mean I definitely love I love that I'm very Jewish. I really love that part of me, and I love that being what people associate with me. And when people see something really Jewish, they think of me. I see a lot of people that do diverge from these communities, and they're just angry and bitter. And, you know, I had a lot of problems with the world, but it wasn't... I just left because it it just wasn't what I wanted to do. So I don't have those bitter feelings. So because of that, yeah, I, I don't regret a lot of... I kind of like the story. For a lot of it, I like having weird stories of bizarre things that I grew up doing. Um, like getting your neighbors to turn on the air conditioner. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just a bizarre, interesting... It definitely gives me some texture, and um, I do think I miss out on a lot of things, and I sometimes regret that, and I regret that... What's one of the things you think you missed out on? I'm sure it affects relationships with men and how I go about, you know, didn't have a sex ed education or, you know... Really I was going to ask, what was that you whole know. situation like? Yeah. You're, just, you're just learning as you go now. Yeah, and I mean, basically, this is really how it works, is when you, I, when you get in, especially in the more religious communities, the time you really learn about sex and all that stuff is when you're engaged. And they have kala. Kala is the word for bride, and chasen is the word for groom. They have kala and chasen classes where they teach you. And if you're really, really orthodox, you don't know anything, and you find out 
a month before your wedding. And because there's all these rules tied to it, too, uh, with sex. Um, so they're teaching you all the rules, too. Is that, um, is it, do you have the sheet involved and stuff like that? <laughs> sheet's a myth. Um, but that being said, there's other crazy things that are probably crazier. I mean, this is my favorite thing. I, I, I was talking to some Jews yesterday where we were like, what's your favorite thing to tell non-Jews to make them anti-Semitic? Like, that we do. That, That's like, great. That, like... It's so shocking and, like, not in line with secular world that they're like, that's insane. You guys are insane. And my favorite thing to say is, so, there's a whole thing. When you, you're not obviously, obviously not allowed to have sex till you're married. That being said, you're also not allowed to have sex when you're married uh, for two weeks, like, when the woman's on her period. You're not allowed to have sex even after your period for seven more days until you're totally clean. And a lot of these women would be like, you know, I ovulate during that time and I want to have a baby, but I can't have sex yet because it's not the seven clean days aren't over. So they're taking these like crazy hormone pills to make themselves ovulate after that where I'm like, just, you're fertile. Have sex when you're done your period. This is the anti-Semitic thing that I'm about to say Mm. is so... When it's those seven clean days um, and you have whatever discharge or whatever in your underwear and you're not sure if it would count as blood or discharge and you're really not sure, your husband can take your underwear to the rabbi to look at it to see if you're clean or not. Oh, damn. Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) I think that's the fucking craziest thing in the world. And I'm not even talking about like Hasidic ultra orthodox does this happen or is this like yes. the, the extreme no and that's really my happens. point this happens in like modern orthodox regular you know not hasidic just regular like people that are accountants and <clears throat> lawyers and doctors but they're in this orthodox world if they have a question and they're not sure their husband puts their underwear in a little baggie and runs over to his house at night and he examines the woman's underwear the blood it's on like, her underwear <sighs> yeah yeah licks it and then hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, it's, uh, clean. This um, one is ready. Yeah. <laughs> Go have sex. So yeah, so that's the thing where it's like, and those are the things where it's like, yeah, I think it's just insane. It, I, it, it's not even a qu- angry because I just, even when I was in it, I'm like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. But there's a lot of focus yeah. on that yeah, time being of, dirty or yeah. just why... Do you know why? Did anyone ever question that, or is that just They like to so explain old? it away. Um, I was going to say, there's that one, I've read about that sex therapist that within the Orthodox... Bacheva Marcus. Is yeah. that her? Yeah. Where she's like, this is a time, this is a time for women. She's turning it into a positive thing. How do you feel about that? It's, yeah, a lot of women explain it away, saying like, the two weeks away from your husband make sex like it reinvigorates your sex life and it's great because then you come back and you really want each other and like it keeps everything fresh for years yeah. and years of marriage and i think that can be true and is and i think there's there is that lining i don't think that's why the laws exist i don't think the laws exist for women and for a beautiful sex life i think it's because in the olden days periods were dirty and disgusting yeah and i think that's great if it works for you and i know a lot of people that they would live and die by that but I know a lot of people are like, it's just, it's the worst time of my life. It's hard. I want to hug my husband. It's, you know, and I think that's beautiful if it works, but it doesn't always work. And I know for a fact that it doesn't always work. So if it was a choice, that might be exactly. different. You know, I might, I might implement something like that into my life if I chose to, or like what if I was in a, a married relationship then maybe that's something I would glean from. And I glean things. And that's where I'm at now, where I'm gleaning things from my upbringing. And that might be something I took 
and made it my own. And, and you said, might do that. You and think? I might do that. Yeah. So, you know, maybe for a week and a half every month, we just try not to have sex. And, and that will make us ha- like excited to see each other when we can. And that could work. And then, you know what? When we don't, we'll stop. Or when, when it's, a, you know, you got the big job, we won't do it. You know, yeah. like, um, I just think this hard and fast, like, no matter what, you know, no matter what you're going through, you can't hug your husband because mm-hmm. you're in this period. Just seems like it seems just so, again, technical without emotion. So uh, you, you talked about the Bible. Do you still enjoy it? Do you still read it? Or um, did you ever enjoy it? No, no. Yeah, I I think. The Bible's so interesting because we talk about it as, like, this book of, like, lessons and things like that. But then if you actually just read it, it's these, like, insane stories of just, like, broken people. Yeah. And I'm conquering. Like, conquering and rape yeah. And, yeah. and just in crazy Game laws. of Thrones. Yeah, it's Game of Thrones. And I always was felt this disconnect between, like, these laws that were, like, getting from the Bible and, like, the actual words in the Bible. I'm like... How do we get these lessons from, like, and Joseph's brothers kidnapped him and sold him into a slavery? I'm like, how did you get anything? How did you get a religion out of this book? It it's just true, seems yeah. like an epic poem of just, you know, I don't know. Fractured and Fractured, evil people sometimes, yeah. 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 yeah, and then, yeah, that's the other thing. It's like there's no d- narrative. Like, it's just, no. it, it makes no sense. So, um, it's interesting, I guess, as like a piece of literature, but I don't really, yeah, my Judaism has nothing to do, my Judaism now has nothing to do with like biblical And it seems like the Bible, from what I understand, is like um, people who are flawed and broken, yeah. and then they create these communities that are supposed to be perfect or yes, follow these perfect laws. That's exactly what bothers me about them is, is well, especially, it's just you see over time, I mean, for example, why do you think the Hasidic groups wear those furry hats and wear those cloaks? I would they love lived, to know. Because they lived in Russia, where everyone yes. wore furry hats, and it was cold. And then they, and instead of realizing, hey, we're moving to America, where it's hot out. We're in New Orleans. Or New Orleans, it, they just pick up these idiosyncrasies that weren't necessarily a religious thing, but they turned it, and I feel like it, as the years go by... It more and more things get turned into religious practice. It's like twenty years ago, your parents were your parents who were just as religious and in this community weren't doing that. Yeah, and they just it kind of dominoes and builds on itself into this thing that's unrecognizable. So nothing falls away. Right. Yeah, I I became not religious like last February. So like a, a little over a year, probably a year and a half at this point. Um, Was there a day? Do you know the day? Um. Yeah, I know exactly what it was. I was at a Shabbat meal. And I was singing these, like, Jewish songs to Shabbat me and I was like, I love this. I love singing Shabbat songs. I love sitting in a group and just getting really into it. And I had this moment where it's like, oh, it's okay to like this and also want to go eat non-kosher tonight. I can have both. I can really like these songs. And it kind of hit me. It's like, this doesn't have to be all of it. I think it was it was ironic because I was so happy at the Shabbat meal that it made me realize, like, you can have this. No one's stopping you from singing these songs. And then that night I texted a friend. I'm like, let's go to Artichoke. Because he was like, as soon as you're not keeping kosher anymore, we're going to Artichoke. Underrated. But uh, I, as soon as Shabbat ended, I'm like, we're going to Artichoke tonight. Because I was like, I can have those songs and also eat an Artichoke slice. And it was kind of this moment where it's like, it, 
and that's what 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 I like about you know I'm, I don't shy away from my Judaism I love it I love being Jewish I love having Shabbat meals not every week and not not being able to turn off the lights but I love implementing it into my life and having Shabbat and doing the holidays and singing the songs and <clears throat> going to those depths depths of Brooklyn and seeing it every now and then and I spent a year just totally away from it and very involved in comedy and not giving myself time for that. And now I'm at a point where I'm trying to figure out how to reinsert it into my life into ways that I want to. And it's still it's still a struggle. It's still a balance. Uh, sometimes I don't think I'm doing it enough. Or yesterday I was at a Shabbat meal and I ended up spending a whole day in Shabbat mode. I'm like, I kind of feel like I wasted my whole day. And it's like that balance between the two is something I'm still trying to figure out actively. Um, but I definitely don't, I'm not bitter or angry about Judaism as a religion, if that makes sense. So what would you say to people who are in that community and maybe they do want to get out, like maybe yeah. they are gay or maybe they do have some sort of, what would you say to them? Like, Yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, I'm so happy now, but I also, it's hard for me to, to say anything to them because I'm very lucky in that my parents will never disown me. You know, I see these people that have left and there's like it's in the last couple of years it's happened a lot where they leave these ultra orthodox communities and then they commit suicide because they just can't handle and so it's hard for me to say like yeah it's easy come on down like yeah i i would say just like i'm so sorry you know i i totally understand i wish and they wish too they wish they it was not like this i it would be so easy if i just believed everything it seems like the way you're trying to structure your life now is you're you're building and making a space for yourself to yeah. have to have all these things. It's your own thing now. It's not as part of organized religion. It's your yeah. own faith and your own. Do you do you believe in God still, or do you? Um, I don't. Not. I don't really have a strong. I I think this world is so vast and beautiful and amazing. It's it seems crazy that it was random. Um, at the same time, I don't know what what sort of God would exist or what what form he takes or if he really cares about what we're doing. Are you um, okay with that, that kind of in uh, between? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm fine with not knowing. I think it's I think it's pompous to be like, I know. Yeah. I think it's that's really where, That's where you get in trouble. That's where you yeah, get cults. I, and Exactly. And I think that's what I've gleaned from this upbringing too. I'm like... I think it's pretty air. I think, you know, especially in this Chabad group, their Hasidic leader, when he died, uh, a lot of them think he's the Messiah. And they're live and breathe by that. And it's like, my opinion is like, oh, he might be. He might not. How how can you be so arrogant to just be like, he is? 100%. Do you pray? No. That was one thing I always hated doing was praying. I felt so dumb. And I think it's because I didn't have this connection to this this God who's listening to me and my yeah, thoughts. Yeah, worried about your skirt. Yeah, exactly. So I, I hated praying from early on. Uh, I like singing. That's how I gain, like, it's spirituality and stuff like that. It's from the songs and the and things like that. I definitely feel that whatever spirituality is and, like, a religion, for me it comes from that rather than mumbling prayers under your breath in a group. So what's the most recent thing that you have implemented back into your life? Definitely Shabbat. Shabbat. Um, I love Shabbat. The, I love the idea of, you know, a day to just, like, guilt-free relax and just talking and hanging out with friends. The problem was when I stopped, when I was keeping Shabbat, it was these people that were these conservative, close-minded. I'm like, oh, I don't want to be sitting at a meal with you. 
that's not fun. I like the idea of community and sitting with friends. So I've been trying to implement it more, you know, with people that I enjoy being around and kind of less strict where it's like, I'll take a subway to get to a Shabbat meal. I'll take the bus to get to a Shabbat meal and then I'll sit and enjoy and see where the day takes me. But I'm not going to say, but I'm bound to this or I can't check my phone to see where you're at. Um, so that's definitely something I've been implementing. I've, I've pretty consistently for the past couple of weeks been going to Shabbat something um, almost every week. And that's like very new in the new my new life. Well, what did it feel like when you got the job at Gersh and all that? That's uh, uh, pretty big. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's kind of it's kind of bittersweet because it's so exciting and I love it. But then I also know, like, I would not have been able to get and do this job or get to the place where I put in so much work that people knew who I was to offer me the job without not like with that if I was religious. So it's kind of like I'm I love it and I'm so happy. Um, and I, it's my dream job, but I, every now and then it scares me. I'm like, what if I never stopped being religious? Like there wouldn't have been room for this. There wouldn't, there isn't really room. People make it work, but very, it's really hard. Um, so for me, it's like, I'm doing the right thing, but I always think about that alternate path that I could have taken and like, where, what would I be doing? I can't imagine what job I would have if I was still Orthodox that I would be interested in. Would you, would you be married with a husband? I mean, Probably. What, yeah. Or I'd be trying real hard to get married. So what, what do you think about It's Okay to Go? Like, what do you think about this whole platform? Oh, it's great. I mean, I think it's fantastic. And that's why I was so eager to be a part of it when I heard about it. Because it... And it's, again, it goes back to what would you say to people trying to leave. It's like, I know it's not easy. And I know it's hard. And I can't even imagine what you're going through. Uh, even though I went through a version of it myself. But it's a nice reminder of, like you aren't alone there are other people that have done this and have been successful there are other people uh that have done this that are struggling that you know you you could lean on each other i think it's it's so great and it's also so great um across the board of like different religions and realizing that we're going through similar struggles even though the the bits and pieces aren't necessarily the same um there's a commonality yeah there's a commonality you know i always say i find myself having way more in common with people that grew up catholic than people that grew up reformed because it's just their upbringing going to catholic school when i went to hebrew school um they know they know the bible i know the bible they know the bible Uh, forget the new testament their rituals and their their long mass services like our long synagogue services i find way more common ground and that's nice to see with this project too. It's just this common ground, um, that yeah, then with Jews that just like grew up at loving Judaism because it's just didn't have to be such a overbearing force in their life. I'm like, I can't connect to you. You don't get yeah. what I've been through. You had Hanukkah. I had Hanukkah. Like it's different. They're different. <laughs> holi- they're different holidays. Yeah. Rosh Hashanah and R- Rosh Hashanah. They're different. Yeah. <laughs> Yom, Yom Kippur and Yom Kippur are. They're different. Yes. You know. And so, so this is like the gray area, like, yeah, you come from black and white, other Catholic people yeah. come from black and yeah. white realities. And then this is sort of creating this gray area where yeah. you can meet and have that. Exactly. Which I think is great. I think that was great. <laughs> this is so fun. It felt I'm very therapeutic. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so glad we finally yeah, me got too. it to work. Thank you so much for having me guys. You're welcome. This Thank is you. great. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us today. Thank you so much to Tova for such a fun conversation. Tova is on Twitter 
at Milberman, that's M-I-L-B-E-R-M-A-N-N. If you would like to see Tova's It's Okay to Go video, you can search Tova Silverman, It's Okay to Go on YouTube. Dustin Parent is on Instagram at The Art of Dustin Parent. You can find more of his work at theartofdustin.com. To learn more about It's Okay to Go, photos, videos, more episodes, all of that available at itsoktogo.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter at It's Okay to Go. Instagram hashtag It's Okay to Go. My name is Haley Carl, and we'll see you next week.